What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson, and today's show is part two with Dave Kalama. Um, thanks for all the feedback on part one. Yeah, and Dave, thanks for coming on, and let's dive right back in. This is a technical foiling conversation with the legend, Dave Kalama. All right, Dave, welcome back, part two. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Hey, so uh, we had about a four-hour break there, and I think you spent that time on the water. How was it? It was good. We tow-foiled the outer reef on Maui, and we experimented with a lot of different new equipment, which um, has its positive and negatives in order to get where you want to go sometimes you got to figure out what works and more importantly what doesn't so we went through that process but in the end um we had some we dialed in our equipment and it was working better than the last time i went so super stoked on that but uh just getting in the water and riding some well overhead waves is on a foil is amazing (laughs) you know so it was a lot of fun what uh, what are you guys testing? What can you talk about? And uh, you know, this is going to be the foiling show. Where this is we're going to get technical on all this stuff. So, what are you playing around with? Well, it, it's I don't. It's not my place to give all the details. I can just tell you that um, I was with Alex, and we are always um, trying to increase our performance, and so. Um, that's what we did. He, he's always got some prototype to test. And since we were in bigger waves, it suited what we were testing. And um, it was really good. So I'm, I'm stoked. But uh, I'll let him let that cat out of the bag when the time is right. But uh, <laughs> always something coming down the pipeline with him. All right. Um, I, I, I've actually reached out to, to Alex and hopefully he'll be coming on at some point. He seems like he's a busy dude. So hopefully when he gets some time, he'll come on. And I, my buddy, Mike Pedigo, who I'll convince to come on the podcast at some point, he rides for GoFoil and he just got the GL140 uh, a couple days ago. And we've been surfing, we've been foiling for the last two days and he's blowing my mind uh-huh. on that thing. He's surfing so much better than he was riding a lot of the higher aspect stuff, which I love. I love high aspect stuff, but man, his turns, mm-hmm. everything, his performance is just insane. I'm sure Alex will share his latest video, um, which I got some drone clips in just pumping around, but that wing looks incredible. Um, it, it is. So I've been riding that thing for a while. And the first time I wrote it, I I knew I would like it, but it was so different um, than the Eva, which I had been riding at the time, so much faster, so much more maneuverable, that I had to really recalibrate. And it took me much more than one session to figure it out, but it was like every time I went for about five or six sessions, I'd, I'd get the timing, I'd learn to trust it more and figure out more where sort of the guardrails were on it. And it, it, it took me a while to figure out, but man, when I got comfortable with it and, and learned what this thing can do, I mean, 
I wasn't supposed to talk to anybody about it. So I literally called Alex every day for a week and just kept going. <laughs> I can't believe how good this oil is. Doing turns I've never done faster than I've ever gone. And it was, I just, I couldn't believe it. And yeah. so if you like it on your first or second time, wait till you get to about your eighth or 10th time. You, you just won't even believe how much more and how surfy it is. It, it's, it's faster, but the the sort of surf pump and kind of this rail the rail that you can do before yep. you go diving into a big bank turn just feels so surfy. I don't know a better way to describe it other than that. It, it, it's amazing. Well, that's what it looks like from watching him surf it for the last couple of days. It, uh, it, it looks like it's got a good balance between actually, let me take a step back here real quick. I, I got some constructive feedback after some of the last shows here that I'm diving into conversations about wings without giving context for people who don't know what the GL 140 is or the MFC 1400 or uniform, uh -huh. whatever. So the GL 140 to me, and you can correct me here, but from looking at it, it looks like a scaled down version of some of the higher aspect go foil things. The cord's probably a little bit longer. The wingspan is much shorter, but it's a pretty flat wing and it yeah. doesn't look like there's a ton of surface area on it. But but from watching uh, my buddy Mike surf it, I mean, it still pumps good. It, it looks like it doesn't compromise too much in the, you know, efficiency area when he's gaining a whole lot of um, a whole lot of performance out of that wing. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a pretty accurate assessment. It it is faster. It is way turnier. You you might sacrifice a little bit of low end, but that can be um, a little more aggressive pump on your last one before you come up when, yep. when you're catching a wave, you know, um, the Eva probably popped up more on its own because it has such a thicker profile and more lift. Whereas this one, you have to take a little more active role in popping it up out of the water or, you know, getting your board up out of the water onto the foil. Um, so really just a, a slight technique modification can, can offset, uh, that little bit less lift out of the starting gate, but the benefits that come from the, the higher, um, side of the performance are incredible and well worth any sacrifice you make coming out of the gate with, like I say, a slight technique and it, it's not noticeable anymore. Um, yeah, just the, the speed, the maneuverability, the, the changing the arc of your turn. Now you can, you can really tighten up the arc and it's allowed me back to a reference to our earlier conversation. It makes me feel like I'm riding like Austin sometimes where I can just do these kind of snap turns or, or what would be considered a snap for foiling. Um, because it allows you to tighten the arc so much. And the other thing I'm learning with it, with that type of foil, I don't know if it's consistent through all the brands, but it, it does seem to be with the go foils. When you really load up the turn, even if you pop the tip yep. while you're in that turn, a lot of the time you can ride right through it and the foil won't cavitate. But when it's not as loaded up, 
um, when you pop the tip, it, it does cavitate like most. So um, that's kind of a cool feature that I've learned to sort of play with now and get a feel for. Yeah. So it allows, again, for more aggressive turns. Um, but it's almost, you have to load right. it up heavily if, if you want to get away with that. Right. You know, in my, I'm way behind where you are, Dave, but in my learning curve here, I'm finding that, you know, moving towards the lower profile wing, so the, you know, the less lift, you need more speed, there's just less margin for air. You just have to maintain that speed. Yep. And once you're, you know, I'm getting to the point now where on some lower profile gear, I can maintain speed and that's fine. Like I can pump pretty small wings fairly decently now, I'm finding, as long as I never bottom out. But once you get going slow on these things now, it, it's it's very difficult to get that speed back. I end up stalling, you know. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm finding too. So, um, wait, I concur. <laughs> what's your what's your favorite uh, foil setup right now? Is is the 140 your go to? Yeah, it, I would say the 140 represents. At least in wave riding, 98% of my usage is on that foil when I'm paddling out under my own power, stand up or um, prone. And yeah, it just suits every aspect of, of wave riding for me from the smallest little rollers to, you know, double overhead if that's what's happening. So the range on it's incredible. And like you say, that there there does need to be a certain level of technique um, so that you can maintain that speed. But if you do, even on the smallest, slopiest little waves, you can still ride them, you know, just fine with the 140. I don't, I don't, I've never found a situation where I felt like, oh, God, I wish I had more wing, you know? Gotcha. Um, but you, would you recommend someone to start? We have a wide range of people listening and different skill sets. Do you think people should be starting out on the 140 or still on a lower aspect type, um, wing? Starting out like literally first timers or first five times. Yeah. I'd probably recommend the Eva or the Maliko 200 just cause you can go slower. It, it, they're so user-friendly. Um, it just really helps you progress quicker. Once you learn how to pump, um, even a little bit, the GLs glide can now benefit you. But if you can't pump and you don't know how to take advantage of, of those, um, characteristics, they're not going to do much for you. Right. So I, I would recommend the Evo or the Maliko 200 out of the GoFoil um, selection. But as soon as you start to figure it out, out at all, um, I'd move into the, the 140 or the 180. Yeah. And GoFoil is one of the brands where you can just buy a new wing. You don't have to buy a whole new setup, you know, which everything's compatible. So that, that's, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking for a system, I think it's best to look for you know, at the beginning, um, foils that you can systems that you can upgrade as your skills progress, because it is like a quiver. You're going to want to have different gear, I think. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's, um, you mentioned prone. I didn't know you were doing too much prone. Um, 
how, how much time are you spending on the stand-up? I'm how not much... doing too much of it, but I am doing it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, talk about the differences in, in prone and sup and advantages and disadvantages. You have a unique viewpoint on that, I'm sure. Well, I think, quite honestly, stand-up offers more advantages. Now, having said that, I don't necessarily advocate that it's more fun. I just think the fact that you can start out in your foot straps, you can start out already standing up. Um, it allowed already standing up with a paddle in your hand allows you the opportunity to pump and paddle or pump and catch at the same time, which means you can take off on a slopier wave or a wave that never breaks. Yep. Whereas on a prone, you're either paddling or pumping. You don't get to paddle and pump at the same time, right? So I do like that advantage with stand-up. Um, and in downwinding, it's not even close, but I, I've got more to say about that later. Yeah. But in, in downwinding, stand-up um, is a huge advantage in getting up to foil. Um We'll, can, we'll do a whole downwind trap. thing. I've got a lot of a lot of guys that have asked me to go into downwinding with you. So table table any more down downwind stuff. Yep. With foot straps, I, I really believe you can be much more aggressive because um, you have more leverage over the board. Um, and stand up lends itself to to incorporating the foot straps easier. Now. I've experimented with foot straps on prone boards. It's totally doable. I, there's a few guys on Maui that have foot straps on their prone boards, but most don't. What I like about prone so much right now, even though I only do it probably one out of six to eight times I go foiling, is that it is new. It is challenging. It, it's a different aspect of the same thing that I know. And so it really keeps it fresh. And I, I love going through that learning process because it always offers something that will make you better. Um, and so figuring out the prone thing is, is fun. That's why I made the comment earlier. There's advantages to sup, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's more fun because if you look at the prone guys out in any place I go and they certainly look like they're having as much fun as us. <laughs> Except for maybe the paddle back out. <laughs> <laughs> if you miss the pump, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and there's advantages to proning too. You, you're riding smaller boards. Um, I'd say at this point, I'm riding a 5.0 stand-up, which isn't that much longer than most guys prone, which is 4.2 to say up to 5 foot on the longer side, seems like. But that smaller board offers you the ability to pump better, probably a little more maneuverable. Um, so there's benefits to, to a prone board too, or advantages. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really fun to experiment. And what I would recommend for people is whatever you're more comfortable with is where you should enter into this sport from. Um, because if you're, if you're not a stand up paddler, it's, it's going to feel completely foreign and foiling will do that plenty on its own, regardless of how you get there, meaning stand up or, or prone. So whatever you're more comfortable with, come in from that angle and, and figure it out. Um, 
you've touched on a lot of things there I want to go into. Let's start with straps. Uh, how much time mm-hmm. are you spending in straps? Are you proning with straps right now? or No. Um, no. I am not proning with straps, and that's intentional because I found I got I had gotten so used to straps that without them, I almost felt like I couldn't do it. Okay. So I forced myself this summer to ride without straps so that I could get more comfortable on my stand-up board. And then when I did start to do more proning, it didn't feel as awkward. and I, I was able to do it um, a little easier. But, uh, yeah, I, I think even if you do use straps a lot, every now and then you should toss those things off and go ride without them because once you get used to them, you, you will feel naked without them. But uh, it will develop your skill if you can ride without them because it's um, – it just it heightens your sensitivity uh, to technique and and giving commands to the board, you know, through your feet and anticipating what you're going to need to do before you need to do it. Do you feel that straps or prone are uh, is a more dangerous setup? You know, which which falls are you more concerned about? Um, while that is a good question, I do not have a good answer. I, I think they're pretty equal in my mind. Um, you can definitely do your ankles with straps, but that if you have any familiarity with foot straps via toe surfing, kiting, windsurfing, uh, wakeboarding, I don't know, um, they're so easy to get out of once you know how to get out of them. It, it's really become second nature. So they're not intimidating to me, but if you don't know that and you don't have that familiarity, I, I've seen people be very intimidated by them and vice versa with, with the prone and not having straps. It feels like you have less control, but if you know how to fall and, and bail out early and, and don't stick around to see how it ends, um, I think you can really minimize the risks and the dangers by recognizing that you are losing control and still being able to manage the situation, get, get out of Dodge before things go south. Yeah. On that note, what, what fall are you most concerned with? What section or turn or, um, is there, Um, is there a particular, well, we call it, we call it tacoing. Yeah. When the board goes left, you go right. You meet the foil, right? Um, that's what you're most afraid of. Now the situation that would create that, um, I feel like is a front side hit into the white water. Um, that's, that's the maneuver that gets me the most nervous. Like you see Derek, Hama, uh, Nick here on Maui do some really nice whitewater hits where they kind of do the layback mm-hmm. off of it. And while it's really cool, there's a lot of functionality to that. Because if you're laying back and you're so committed to the inside, if you fall, you're probably just going to fall to the inside of the turn, which there's no consequence to. You just get wet. It's when you fall to the outside of the turn that things can go bad, right? right. And, and so for me, when I do a rebound off the whitewater um, on my toe side, 
I way overcommit to the inside of the turn so that if things do go south, I just fall to the inside. And that's, that's what I tell people learning when they're really working on the turns is really overcommit to the inside of the turn, especially the first few times until you kind of learn where that balance point is. And then even when you know where it is, you always, if you're ever going to make a mistake, make it to the inside, don't make it to the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. Actually, I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine who just learned to pump and he's connecting waves. And he was asking me about connection turns today. And I said, the one thing that he definitely needs to do is it's the same, the same fall. But I find that when folks are connecting for the first time, they're not anticipating that energy of the wave that's going to push the board at them. And the exact advice I gave him today was to, to overcommit to that turn, be way on your heel side rail so that when the, you know, when the wave energy hits you, it's not going to talk, like you just said, push you on top of your board. So I wholeheartedly agree right. with that. When I hit the foam now, I'm trying to rail grab most of the time. I guess it's kind of like a strap effect where I'm controlling the board with my hands. Right. You know, um, so a lot of folks are using the podcast, you know, as a roadmap to get better. If you had to start over, if someone came and wiped your memory away, but, but you could leave yourself a blueprint to get back to where you are as quickly as possible, what, what do you think that would look like? Um, definitely behind the boat or the jet ski. Um, actually what's worth mentioning is the e-foils now, um, in my experience are the easiest ways to learn the foil. I don't have a lot of time on one, but the short time that I did get to experiment with one, um, made it so much easier on your initial flight time. If you can't do that, or you don't have access to one of those highly recommend behind the boat or the ski with the biggest foil you can get so that you can go as slow as possible. And even though all the same risks are there at slower speeds, things happen slower. So you have a, a split second longer to bail out and, and recognize that things are getting out of control. Um, so big wings, you know, slow the speed. leaning in. Yeah. Big okay. wings, slow speed, yeah. L- little, little more time <laughs> to get out. Uh, if you feel like you're losing control, um, the leaning into the turn, I learned the hard way, you know, in the beginning, I, I saw everybody riding waves and it looked fun, but nobody was hitting whitewater. I right? So as soon as I got good enough to hit a whitewater, I just banked a big old cutback, went flying into that whitewater, tacoed, feet were stuck in the straps. <laughs> Oh, Head's basically pressed up against the foil. I'm going over, tumbling in the white water. I'm like, ah, that's why no one's hitting white water. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, from from that experience, I was like, okay, that was too big of a white water to start out with. So back down to like six inches of white water, overcommit to the inside of the turn, figure out what's going on, and and then take it from there. So the the more you can baby step your way forward through this entire process the safer it's going to be and the quicker you'll get to where you want to be in terms of performance and then the other thing that that's really um i think surprising to a lot of people is how small of an adjustment you need to make to have a substantial 
difference in how the board, the wing, whatever is going to fly. Like I tell people, if you move one inch, that's really a substantial amount of, of weight shift and the, the foil will fly very different. So, you know, most people question that little amount can have such a significant effect until they experiment with it themselves. Like, Oh, okay. I see what you're talking about. So I'm sure you've had the same experience. And Oh yeah. Do, do you have any tips for setup? How sensitive stuff is. What's that? Uh, do you have any tips for setup for foil setup for getting things correctly placed and uh, balancing? Well, um, I would say in general, I'm, I'm 195 pounds and I'm, I position myself and this is going to vary a little bit with all the different brands, but they'll, they'll be relatively close, but not exactly the same. Um, I'm either over the, my, the center of my foot is over the trailing edge of the mast or one inch forward. And that okay. sort of seems to be my sweet spot. Now, if I change the size of my foil, the size of the tail wing can all have little variances of where I should move forward or back. But as, as my kind of go-to starting point now, having said that, Austin, who's uh, 35 pounds, maybe 40 pounds lighter than I am, um, in order to keep the same size foil down, he's probably going to need to move forward an inch to two inches further forward. Um, you know, and that's kind of his go-to starting point and then adjust from there. And that's where you'd set up your foot straps when you're prone. Are you moving your feet a lot? Uh, no, no. I, I, I mean, I put a little, a little, uh, EVA pad right over the mast so that I've got that tactile reference of where my back foot is. Um, but what's what's interesting is most people's experience uh, in in that I've come across is their back legs. When you finally get to a point where you can really ride for a while, your back leg burns um, tremendously because it's it's supporting most of your weight, and your front leg is kind of the fine trim. And so, a common question I get is, you know, what do I do with my stance to address the fatigue of my back leg? And initially, you, you would think you would move forward to get more weight on your front leg, but it's the opposite. If your back leg is carrying most of the weight and you find that it's really pumped up at the end of a ride and very fatigued, you need to move yourself back because what that will force you to do is put more weight on your front leg, um, take some of the pressure off your back leg, even out the, the workload, and then you can last longer. Yeah, that's a good tip. That's a good tip. When I first started, I had my foil set up wrong and I spent a couple months basically wheeling one-legged manualing on all waves. And now my legs are lopsided. The one's bigger than the other. <laughs> um, Not mine for the same. <laughs> Um, so what about pumping? You're kind of going through your, your crib sheet on setup and you know, training, do you have any tips on pumping? What have, what have you learned? I know that you think about this stuff deeply. So <clears throat> with pumping and, and I got to admit up front, I am not the master. I'm adequate, but that's about it. You know, guys like my son and Kane and some of the other young bucks, 
they can pump forever. And while I'm sure there's some technique things they've got going, I think youth has a lot to do with it. <laughs> At least I'm hoping so. I think so too. But, man. Um, I think it's a cardio game. Yeah. But in my experience is, at the end of a wave, pump for anywhere from five to twenty seconds, whatever you can do. You you don't want to max yourself out, but you want to you want to bring your heart rate up a little bit. Just practice it. Practice your technique, whether it be kind of short, quick strokes or longer, more up and down strokes. Just play with it, experiment. Um, if you do it after every wave, even for five seconds, maybe ten you will find that your capacity to pump will increase. Your technique will get better, whatever sort of style you adopt. And equipment has a little bit to do with that too. And wing um, design characteristics. All those things play a little bit of a factor in, in how you can optimize your pumping. But uh, the, the only way to really find out what that code is for, for your setup is to just do it a lot and experiment. Yeah. Um, all good tips. Let's, let's, all right. So, so you design boards and mm -hmm. I think it's awesome that your boards, you can tell when someone's riding a Kalama board because you have a unique shape and can you talk through the process, um, of what has led you to, you know, that being the best practice and, um, like kind of talk about the, uh, the idea behind the board. Sure. So early on when I committed to the idea of, of not just using a small fat stand-up board um, and trying to make a proper foil board, I essentially made a really horrible surfboard design, meaning the rails still had a surf um, profile to them. Uh, the rocker was accelerated in the tail, but still surf-like. Um, and a few things like that, that while it worked better than what I had been using, I, I realized, um, actually, let me back up one more step. Uh, that was a very critical factor in me getting to where I am now. I was listening to a podcast, and, and it spoke about fear. And it, it, what it did, it made me analyze how I perceive fear and what I think fear is. And I always thought, well, I'm not scared of anything. I've ridden giant waves. You know, I can, I'm not afraid. And what I realized when I really critically analyzed every decision I make, every action, every creative thought, I started to see that fear played such a big factor in my decisions and my creativity because I was worried about what other shapers would think, what, what other people would think. If, if you go so far outside the boundaries, you are afraid of being criticized or judged. And when I came to that realization that a lot of my design were, you know, maybe not directly 
a result of fear. They were heavily influenced by fear. And I think that first board I was just speaking to that still had surf characteristics in it was a function of being afraid to go too far outside the box because of being judged, of being different, what people might say, and all these other sort of ego-driven things. And that's when I sort of came to the realization I was scared. Like, I had to acknowledge that. I, I was afraid of being judged. And once I realized that, and, and how much it was affecting me, I was like, well, screw that. I, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to let fear dictate my creative juices or ideas or whatever it is going to be, be it good or bad. If I'm going to make a mistake, so what? What I mean, so what? We both know, and, and I think a lot of people learn this along the way, that failure is actually a necessary part of the process yep. in order to evolve. And so when I came to that realization, it was like, you know what? It, it was so freeing that I'm like, I can make whatever I want. I don't have to stay in the box anymore. And so that's when I just went full blown. I'm not making a surfboard. I don't care what surfboard shapers say. This is a foil board. What needs do I need to put into this design to make it a good foil board, not a version of a surfboard that works for foiling? Okay. And so when I adopted that perspective is when I was able to go way outside the box and start designing things that really had never been in a board before, at least that I'd never seen. So I think you're um, the first. But the, having said all that, the funny part is I ended up really close to foil racing kite boards um, that I hadn't seen in all of my process until much later. I, I was at uh, Alex Aguera's factory one day. And I was all excited about this new design and thinking I'm so far outside the box and up in his rafters, like, a I don't know, five, six, eight-year-old board. I look up and I'm like, yeah, it looks just like the board I just made. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. It was funny. But uh, anyway, a massive shift in in perspective and um, an acknowledgement of fear really uh, allowed me to, to... get outside of contemporary uh, surfboard design and philosophy. That's epic. And I have a friend who talks a lot about the social pressures, constructs of surfing being enforced on foiling and how that is, you know, guiding the sport to some level. And, and, you know, you, you're already an outside the box thinker and to have that realization about it limiting your design is uh that's a beautiful a beautiful like uh you know revelation but when when you had that revelation and then you looked Mm -hmm. at what the key aspects for a foil board design elements um were what did you start with Mm -hmm. what what elements core design principles did you start with that first board um volume okay that I could go shorter because I realized, okay, if I'm going shorter, I've got to compensate for that lack of length somehow to maintain a certain level of volume so that I can stay up on the water. Um, So thickness was the obvious um, solution to that. Uh, Width became another solution to that. 
um, when I'm in a turn, what's going on? You know, um, you hit the rail. All right. So let's get some of the rail out of the way. Give yourself a couple more inches to work with. Right. Yep. Um, so that's where the chimes were initiated, kind of a, an extreme version of, of the chimes. Um, the tail was Jerry Lopez had, um, exposed me to, um, hydro steps way back in the eighties. I think it was, um, in some of my windsurf designs that they had adopted from surfboard designs and, and stuff they had played with prior. And so I was aware of, of all those hydro thing, hydro steps in the tail. And I know windsurfing had played with them a little bit too. So I had that experience to draw upon and, you know, I made this one board that, uh, I thought, Oh, you know, it was, one of my first designs once I broke outside the box and I thought, this is it, man, this thing's going to work so good. And I took off on this wave and it seemed like it was gripping the water a bit. And I, I couldn't figure out exactly why. And I wrote it a couple more times and then it was like, wow, the tail feels like it's stuck a little bit. And that's sort of what, uh, the light went off and it was like, Ooh, all right. I know I want the rocker, but curve without an edge creates um the water will be, will stay connected if you don't put an edge in there so voila the hydro step was introduced which broke that seal of the water wanting to hold on to the surface and it released um when i would go to pop up and it's also a version of an airplane you know, when it takes up off the, the runway of the tube continued on and it's in its normal cylindrical profile, you'd hit the tail on takeoff, right? Yep. So it made sense to get some of the tail out of the way. So kind of two functions there, um, with the hydro step. Um, then another really kind of revelation for me was really trying to analyze what, what, was sucking what's going on with the water what is holding the board back from jumping out and releasing so i started trying to envision um what what actual process the water had to go through to let go of the board and it it dawned on me that water cannot let go of the surface unless there is something there to replace it air more specifically so if the air can't get to the bottom of the board the water can't release right if the lowest point of your board is out towards the edge the water will not release until the lowest point is above the surface of the water and it will pull the water up above its natural level for a little bit that is interpreted as suction or the board not wanting to let go. So I made myself two one by one pieces of plywood. One of them I left completely flat and I put a pull handle on top. The other one, I cut a little groove down the middle of it so that I could fold it and create a V bottom design, both exactly the same amount of area, 
one foot by one foot. I put them in the surface of water and I pulled up on them abruptly <laughs> That's awesome. to see how much water was pulled up out of the, you know, my kid's pool. And so I went through this experiment a few times and saw that the flat panel pulled a lot more water out than the V pulled out. Okay. So the V is the way, but why? Because the highest point of the bottom is at the sides, which means the water can now start to slide towards the center of the board, easily be replaced with air, no suction. That's awesome. That's why my boards have V through the entire bottom and not concave. And trust me, I am a concave guy day in and day out when it comes to surface planing holes they get you up on a plane faster. But when you incorporate them into foil board design, all you're doing is holding on to the water longer. And if we, if you needed the plane to get up onto your foil, then yes, you incorporate the, the concave back into the design because it will promote earlier planing. But if you're getting up on your foil pre-planing speeds, then your concave is, is working against you. All right. That's an I hadn't thought about it in that regard. I, I landed similar um, through researching boat hulls. Uh, I did some of that when I was doing some some design work, um, but I hadn't thought about the point at which you're popping on foil if you're on plane or not. That's insightful. Um, what about the fin on the front? When did that come about? Um, when I kind of, when I started getting under six foot, the I mean you yaw back and forth. Yep. Under eight foot, let's see, let's say, but with a minor technique modification, you, you can adjust for that pretty easily and compensate. But when I got under six foot, even with compensating your, your stroke for stand up, the yaw factor was becoming really significant. And so, you know, the easy solution is you put a fin up there so it doesn't go back and forth as much. And the first fins I experimented with were much bigger just to test the concept. And they absolutely um, were functional and, and served the purpose. But the bigger fin created a lot more weight. And when you put weight on the nose of a foil board, it has a exaggerated effect. So I started scaling down to as, as small of a fin as I could and still get um, the enough effect or enough result out of a, a certain area so that it minimized the yaw um, was very effective when the board was in the water, but when it was out of the water, it was as invisible as possible. And so that led me to the keel style, even though in the beginning you saw me a lot with normal, yeah, you know, surfboard fin style. I knew that ultimately the keel was, was where I wanted to go, but I didn't want to let the, that cat out of the bag too early. <laughs> Are you just putting a FCS or a futures box up there normally? Yeah, FCS. but it, I mean, yeah. the style of box is irrelevant. Right. The fact that it's there. Yeah. Uh, you touched on weight there. Do you have any thoughts around weight as a positive or negative? You know, going back and forth between SUP and prone myself, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, weight. Um, what do you think? Weight, um, I've actually, let me start by saying I've actually made my boards a little heavier. I've brought some weight back 
into uh, my own personal boards, um, which is really counter to where I thought ultimately I was going because what I, what I figured out or what my experience was if getting up is a high priority or, or heavily factored in your goals or objectives, then you want as light as possible because lighter gets up easier. I don't think there's any argument to that. But if turning and, and higher speeds are part of your design equation, then weight actually starts to work to your benefit again. Weight smooth turns out. And yeah, it smooth. It smooths your turn out. The heavier your nose is, the more it's going to smooth out your turn. Or you can look at the slower it makes the reaction of the board. However you want to interpret, that's up to you. If you're going slow speeds and you need to be more abrupt in your pumping or your, your turning radius, then you want less weight. If you're going really fast and and on bigger waves, you want more weight. Which is kind of back to general surfing concept, you know. If you're trying to generate speed and pump and be super loose, you want a, a nice, small, light little board. But if you're riding giant waves, a little bit of weight is not a bad thing because it helps dampen the vibration and smooth everything out. So I find the same is true with foiling. And and without changing the weight, you can change where the mast is, and that will change the characteristic of how the board works. Um, you move it forward more, the light in S or the light, the <laughs> nose becomes lighter in essence relative to where the mast is positioned, right? So it comes up easier, it pumps easier. It will feel like it can swing left and right easier. Uh, and conversely, if you move the mast back, it's like adding weight to the nose, even though you didn't, because there's now more nose in front of the mast. So the turns will smooth out and, and everything will feel um, smoother. You know, that's something I've been playing around with in my last batch of boards, Dave. I did uh, poly double stringers, like adding weight, like basically like you're making a mid-length board, 12-ounce deck and bottom. And I really liked it. And I've been asking a lot of people on the show and no one has agreed with me yet. So I feel I'm a little bit happy that you said that you like a little bit more weight too. It makes me, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, so I was riding on, let's say five, six, and I was getting them down to like 10 and a half, 11 pounds, um, naked, meaning no deck pad or straps or anything like that. And for my downwinding, I'm all in on light, like as light as I can possibly make it because getting up is really almost more important than anything. If you can't get up, then you ain't going downwinding, right? So the the objective to getting up is the main priority. So light is good. Now, when you catch a big old bomb on a Maliko swell and you're going 20 to plus miles an hour, <laughs> kind of wishing I had a little more weight, but I'm willing to sacrifice that to get up and get riding in the first place in waves. I've gone back up pound and a half, two pounds from that and found that I like that much better. Where do you feel it in mostly in turns? Turns just smoothing yeah. out the board, less nervous and less twitchy, um, a yeah. little more consistent and, and, uh, predictable in what the board's going to do. Yeah. Especially I at speed. That's pretty much, I, I like, it feels real buttery to me. 
um, not chattery yeah. at all. Yeah. It feels feels like you're riding a perfectly glassy wave, you know, on a, on a really good mid length type board, which I love that type of surfing. Um, you mentioned downwinding yeah. there. I've got a lot of requests to to talk to you about downwinding, which is not something that I have any experience in whatsoever. So what do you think people should know about downwinding? Cause I'm not going to ask intelligent questions. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult because you have to be able to pump and paddle. If you even want to think about going downwind. Right. Um, let me back up a little bit. Let me just kind of describe the, the best conditions for downwinding. And it ain't Maliko. Maliko's awesome once you know how to do it, but it'll only make learning harder if that's where you think you're going to learn. Places like the south side of Maui and Kihei run. Um, Hood River is fantastic for learning to downwind um, because the swells are tighter, meaning the crests from the distance between crests is shorter, which means the angles of the swell are steeper. Steeper is easier to catch, easier to catch, easier to get up on foil. Now, once you're up on foil, the the more organized the bumps are, the easier it is to read and then thus place yourself in the correct position to keep gliding. Different than stand-up downwind or even canoeing or any other surface version of downwinding, you do not want to go down into the trough and, and lift the tail on the swell behind you, you have to go across the swell and think of it more like surfing where if you were to catch a wave, go straight down to the bottom out in front of the wave, you're not going to be riding for very long because you're in the flats. Right. And, and that's even exaggerated and downwinding because what you'll do is you go down into the flats and now back up the other side, meaning the swell in front of the one that you're on, which kills your speed. You're back down in the water. You're done. So the trick then becomes going across the swells like you would on a normal wave. You, you can't go to the bottom. You have to stay up on the face. If you do that, you keep riding. And so that's, you know, as succinctly as I can describe it, sort of the whole trick to it. Gotcha. Any tricks to get up? Um, I, I see a lot of, you know, guys, YouTube and tricks to, to, to pop up and, you know, wind, wind chop or whatever you want to call it. Any Dave Kalama tidbits there? Um, you're going to have to exert more energy than you think. So just get your mind around that, that it takes a tremendous amount of, of energy for a few strokes. Um, technique can definitely help, but no matter what your technique is, you have to expend a lot of energy, meaning a lot of effort into putting the paddle in the water, um, really exerting a lot of energy and pull to launch yourself forward. And while you're doing that, you're trying to pump um, or swim the foil through the water uh, to get that release of the board on the surface and get up on foil. And, and when you learn the timing of that and when you need to exert or, or when you pull the trigger to go, um, really just takes experience. But I can say this, you, you don't wait for the swell to lift you like a normal wave would. You have to start going when the wave in front of the one that you want passes under you. So when your nose is pointed up 
towards the sky from the wave passing under you, that's when you start to go. So that as you transition through the trough, you're already starting to gain momentum. Now you start to pump. The tail lifts on the swell that you're actually trying to catch. You've already built up some forward momentum and, and a little bit of speed. And hopefully that wave then gives you a, a little push, increases your speed again, combine that with your pumping. Boom, hopefully you can break free of the surface. Now, a lot of times what happens is while that little surge can get you up, it might still pass under you. And so if you keep going straight, you're trying to pump up a hill, which means you're not going to last long. So a good tip, if you can't actually get down the one you catch, is a 90-degree turn out to the right or left, depending upon which stance you are, and get ready to drop in on the following one. And once you do that, you're off and running. That's a good tip. What, you said you like a lighter board for downwind. Is it similar yes. outside of weight or is it just light uh, or, or do you change the design for that? Is it a more liters or longer? Um, I've gone back to a little bit longer. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say I've gone back. I was always using a little bit longer because a little more glide helps um, because that equates to, to better acceleration when when the time comes to try and get up on the foil so i've always used a little bit longer but um that's more a little bit of a function of wanting to get up quicker now i'll go on my waveboard and i know i can get up but the swell that i can catch is now even more specific which means i've got to be more patient and wait for the right situation to present itself in order for me to get the speed to get up. Um, and it will eventually, you know, but a longer board, um, allows less of an ideal swell for you to catch. And so there's more opportunity to get up with a board that, uh, is a little more mobile, let's say. Gotcha. Um, Zane Schweitzer, uh, who, you know, well, I'm sure, uh, was on the show. And, and he actually was talking about in the downwind runs and some of the races, um, mm -hmm. riding the foil to catch the bump or the foil to catch the swell, the underlying swell. And, you know, maybe it's really easy to, to pop up on a larger foil, but then you don't have the speed needed to, to then catch the underlying swell. How do you gauge what foil you're going to ride and what foils are you riding uh, for downwind runs? Generally, I use the GL 180 uh, okay. from GoFoil. And I have found that my pumping paddling technique is adequate that I can get up on that foil uh, pretty easy. Um, if you're just starting out, I would recommend the 210 or even the 240 would make it easier. Bigger is easier to get up and initially, when you're learning downwinding, that should be your priority is just getting up. It's, it's not until later that you recognize what's going on with the bumps, where to place yourself, start connecting multiple bumps um, that you can utilize a faster foil. You know, And faster foil typically means it's going to be harder to get up. But if you have the technique, it's, it's not that big of a hurdle okay um 
All right. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping up here on the foil talk. Anything else on foiling you want to throw out there? I'm sure there's going to be follow-up questions. I always miss a ton of stuff. <laughs> um, anything we missed yeah, to add? It's nothing you haven't said. Foiling is not surfing. If you look, if you're a surfer and you want to get into the sport because other people you know are, and you think it's surfing, you are going to have a very challenging experience. You have to come into it expecting this is not surfing. It's closer to snowboarding, I'd say, than surfing. Um, and that's because of the incorporation of the front leg being your go-to um, leg that actually is, is doing the flying. It's not your back leg like in surfing. Um, where your, your back leg is dictating a lot of the arc of your turn, pumping, all that type of stuff. Um, so keep that in mind uh, if on you're that, interested in getting into it. On, on that to... note about about surfing and foiling, what constructs, you mentioned it before about the social pressures of you know surfboard shapers mm-hmm. thinking that a foil design wouldn't be cool or however you want to phrase that. But what, what other things from surfing are we bringing in that are not, that shouldn't exist necessarily in foiling or that are holding us back in foiling? Do you have any thoughts about, you know, where, where foiling is fundamentally different and should be interpreted as it, as its own thing, as you kind of just said there? Um, boy, how is, other than technique, how is, um, des- well, you already mentioned it, but design is a huge one. Um, so many shapers come from a surfing background in terms of design. And, and even if you haven't surfed, say, um, even if you haven't shaped a surfboard and, and you're only um, a stand-up designer or whatever the case might be surfing has had such a huge influence across the board with every type of planing hall and, and as it should, no, no questions, no rebuttal to that whatsoever, but this is not surfing. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be more clear. The design characteristics to this are quite different than any watercraft um, that has not utilized hydrofoils to this point. The boats, I mean, hydrofoils have been around for a long, long time, even though a lot of us have only been exposed to it in the last three to 10, 15 years. It, it's been around 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe more than that, right? Um, so they've been around for a long time, and but it's always been such a remote little niche portion of hydrodynamics uh, and now i think through america's cup um what kiting has had a huge influence over over foiling um they were kind of the ones that picked it up um first from laird myself and the rest of the strap crew and what we did was surf foiling you know with the jet skis and the boots and stuff but they were the ones, um, you know, and credit to Rush Randall, actually, I, I got to mention his name. He was the worst one that ever kite foiled that I know of and windsurf foiled for that matter. Um, yeah, they, they were the ones that kind of figured out, okay, we don't need the strap or the boots, excuse me. We can just use foot straps. Uh, they were the ones that figured out how to 
utilize these teeny little high aspect foils that go incredibly fast because of the speeds that they're av- their average speeds they're operating at. And so kiting America's cup and now the surf foiling, um, foiling in general has really come to be noticed to some degree in the mainstream. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been around for a long time, even though a lot of us have only been exposed to it more recently. What about the culture of I don't know if I was answering that question. I'm just kind of rambling there. But but valuable. Um, What about the culture of foiling? And when you look at culture of surfing, the scarcity of waves has so much to do with with the culture of surfing. Do you think that scarcity will work its way into foiling? Because I don't see it yet here. Everyone's just really stoked and you can share waves and – um, that's one of the beautiful parts about it. Do you think that that's going to lend itself to a more inclusive feeling? Or do you think that it's just a matter um, of time till people are all hating other foilers? No, I, I, I don't foresee that being a problem for a long time, if ever. Uh, I tend to agree with you that the vibe in foiling, because there's no sponsorships really. Well, I mean, it, if there's sponsorships, they're product and it's so small time that there isn't this level of competitiveness yet. And I think the, the pureness of the experience and the fun and the camaraderie since it's new um, are going to maintain for a while. I think the, the risk and the danger is going to limit uh, how many people ultimately get into it. Um, but you, having said that, I, I look at kiting and, and I was around for the very first uh, versions of, of kite surfing. Um, I never would have guessed it got as popular as it has because of how dangerous it was early on. And kiting blew up. Um, and so I look at I look at foiling as the same thing, even though there was this inherent danger initially, we've all figured out that with a little bit of instruction, you can really minimize that risk. Um, and it's so much fun. And and once you learn how you, you, you can really manage that, that risk, uh, even though it's always there to some degree, you, you really minimize it quite a bit. So I think it could get quite popular all the boat wakes, downwinding, the winging now is kind of feels like it's a very close kin to surf foiling because we're using such similar equipment. Um, the surfing, the proning, the stand up, um, pumping around in flat water. Uh, there's a lot of aspects to it that can suit your flavor. Um, and so, yeah, I think the potential for it to grow is, is quite large. Now, having said that, it, it's not going to be as big as stand-up was because that is so accessible to everybody. Um, I don't think it'll be like that, but I still think it'll be quite uh, successful as a sport and has a lot to offer um, everyone, really. Yeah, I think that's... Uh... I 100% agree with with all of that. Uh, So before we wrap up, we talked a lot about your boards today. If someone is interested 
in getting a board from you? How do they go about doing it? Uh, com, or you can reach out to me through Instagram or Facebook. Um, um, I still do custom boards, but, uh, probably my focus is making a production board that literally is not a compromise <laughs> to, to my custom stuff. You know, I'm really trying to make some high, high performance, um, production stuff so that I can use it. My son can use it and no one feels like they're compromising in performance by using a production board. You know, I, I agree with, I think that in stand up or in surfing, there are benefits to the custom route. I, I like the flex of the construction and the whole thing, but in foiling, I think that flex is a disadvantage. You want the stiffest thing possible. And, you know, sometimes yep. you want it as light as possible and that lends itself to production. And so, the hard part right now is that none of the production stuff that is out there is what's good yet. I mean, we're probably at the production cycles, probably next year we'll have really good foil boards that are coming out. So if you're doing that now, that's amazing. Um, that's cool. Is that going to be a Dave Kalama line? Are you, are you doing that on your own? Yeah, there's, there's Kalama performance is yeah, okay. the brand of production boards. Um, and while it's been focused on foil boards to this point, you know, I, I want to diversify and, and longboarding is very authentic to me as a huge part of my story and stand up obviously is, and I'm collaborating with Imagine again, but still, um, going to be doing some stuff under my label as well. Not, not so much recreation, uh, stuff like we will for Imagine, but, um, some kind of fun longboard, high performance longboard, if <laughs> if you can describe it that way. Um, yeah, folks have seen you surf uh, sub longboard. That is performance. I was blown away when we surfed <laughs> together in Costa Rica. Some of the turns you were doing on a nine foot board. It made me rethink a whole lot. Having you and Colin there together, we did a trip a, a long time ago. And, uh, watching, watching you guys surf nine foot boards was incredibly inspirational. So that was fun, man. Yeah, that was a fun trip. I remember it. Definitely. (laughs) Well, cool. Dave, thanks for being so gracious with your time doing two parts. Um, this was, this was awesome. If there's anything that I can do to support or promote or anything, please let me know. Well, the I, right now I really only have two retail outlets, uh, High Tech on Maui and Big Wings in Hood River, that you can go and kick tires on my boards. But other than that, if you go to Kalama Performance, we are doing direct sales, and I ship right from my house. So, um, I'm I'm the head box shipper, dropper off guy for all my stuff <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> check out the Kalama camps and KalamaPerformance.com. And Dave, thanks again, man. This was, this was awesome. My pleasure. It's always fun to talk with you. You have such great questions and insight and uh, yeah, it's really a pleasure.